Today in Canadian history for February the 11th, I'm Joe Barima. On this day back in 1869 in Ottawa, the trap door swung open, the rope snapped tight, and Patrick James Whalen was dead. The Irish Canadian was one of the last people to be publicly hanged, executed for one of the most infamous murders in Canadian history. He was convicted of shooting Thomas Darcy McGee, one of Canada's most eloquent and passionate fathers of Confederation. But the trial and eventual execution of Patrick James Whalen is certainly not tied off in a pretty little bow. It's a case full of questions regarding circumstantial evidence and political involvement, with many questioning whether or not the rope found the right man on this day back in 1869. Dr. David Shanahan is a professional historian who specializes in Irish-Canadian history in Canada in the 19th century and First Nations history. Well, I suppose the most important thing about McGee was that he is, as we call him, a father of confederation. He was one of the men who created the Dominion of Canada. And he in particular was quite unique because he brought to confederation something that was more than just a political structure. He brought a vision of what this new nation could be, that it would be more than just a political uh, amalgamation of all these provinces. He had the idea of it being a new nation, a new nationality, and he had an idea of what a Canadian could be that would transcend all the various ethnic and religious and cultural backgrounds of the people who were here already. And so that gave Confederation a much a much higher sort of ideal than it would have had otherwise. And of course, he was the representative of, uh, particularly of the Irish Catholics in what was Canada at the time. And, and they were the largest ethnic group outside of French Canadians in, in Quebec. They were the largest ethnic group in Ontario, as it became, so they were a significant part of the population. Working first as a journalist and eventually as a member of the Legislative Assembly of the Province of Canada, McGee was known for his eloquence and passion. Members of the Finian movement were a constant target of his sharp tongue. Well, the Finians had really started in in the U.S. among uh, people who had fled Ireland for various reasons during the the time of the famine, both for political and, and for economic reasons. There were people with a, a definite sense of grievance and exile and who really were uh, organizing and agitating to uh, fundamentally free Ireland from British rule. Um, the extent of the Fenian movement in Canada is very hard to, to get at. There was certainly a strong undercurrent of feeling in favor of Fenian ideas. But, of course, the Irish in Canada weren't facing the same sort of discrimination as they were in the States. So it was much more of a, an underground, a, a quiet movement. I'd say a lot of Irish people might have had sympathy with the idea of, say, violent revolutionary activity in Ireland, but it wasn't something that they saw as part of their own lives anymore. So the extent of it is is very hard to judge. It was certainly there, though. Fenianism, in fact, stood for everything he opposed with his idea of this new nation. If he wanted to transcend old grievances and ethnic divisions and create a new nation, then importing the old grievances of the home country was counterproductive. It was, a, it was a serious mistake. He had also understood that through his experience in Ireland, he knew how easily the Irish could be emotionally stirred up, how strong the attachment was to Ireland, to the land, and how easily Fenianism could appeal to the Irish in Canada and really work on their loyalties. And he realized that... In the end, it would come to, for the Irish in Canada, it would come down to a question of loyalties. Which came first? Their 
new home in Canada and their loyalty to this new idea, this new nation, or the traditional grievances and the traditional, the traditional divisions that they'd experienced in Ireland. He saw Fenianism as a, as a serious threat to confederation and the, and the hope of making a new nation here. And of course, he saw it as a, a serious threat to the position of the Irish in Canada because they weren't treated badly. They, were, they had full rights. They were able to make something of themselves in a way they could never do in Ireland or the States. And he saw Fenianism, by playing on those emotions, could endanger that position that they already had. Well, it was automatically assumed that the Fenians had, had killed him. The Fenians had actually invaded Canada in 1866. The last time Canadians died defending Canada from invasion was against the Irish. Um, the Fenians invaded in southern Ontario. So when McGee was killed, uh, it was assumed the Fenians had done it to get him back for his opposition. There's very little evidence that they, in fact, were involved. But what the Canadian government, particularly Sir John A. Macdonald, what he immediately assumed was that this could be the start of a conspiracy against the cabinet, against the Canadian government. And so he suspended habeas corpus, rounded up hundreds of Irish Catholics, regardless of affiliation or, or loyalty, and, uh, and imprisoned them without trial for, in some cases, six to nine months. Um, there was that sort of panic reaction that nobody knew. It's rather like 9-11. Nobody knew what was coming next. It was out of the blue, it was sudden, and nobody for a long time was sure exactly where the threat would lay. And so the response was this general um, move against the Irish. One of the men arrested, one of the individuals rounded up, was none other than a married Irish Canadian named Patrick James Whalen. Well, the man they arrested, uh, the man that was fingered for the crime, and he was Irish, he was born in Galway. He had served in the, in the British Army uh, uh, for quite a while. He was a tailor by profession. He had lived for a while in Montreal, and he knew the Montreal scene very well, which, of course, is where McGee lived and the area McGee represented. He'd only arrived in Ottawa just a few months before the, uh, the assassination. He had turned up. There was one really remarkable story. On New Year's Day, the night of New Year's Day, uh, before the assassination, he'd actually turned up at McGee's house in Montreal to warn him against an assassination attempt and under a false name. But he was recognized. In fact, he, he was the one who pointed himself out to McGee's brother at the trial, saying, do you remember me? I, I came to the house. There was nothing remarkable about him. He had no record of political involvement. There was no evidence to link him in any way to the Fenians or to any radical Irish revolutionary group in Canada. He was just one of these ordinary men in the street. And it was only the, the arrest that, that made him in any way um, unusual or famous. The remarkable thing was that the evidence against him was all completely circumstantial. The trial showed that it was a very, very weak case. Um, he, in some ways, was the wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's no question. He admitted before his death that he knew who had, who had killed McGee. He was aware of these people, and he, he knew who they were. But very classically Irish, especially Irish of the 19th century, he wasn't going to tell on them. He wasn't going to inform to the authorities. But he was the one that was picked, and MacDonald was determined he was the one who was going to be found guilty. 
and he took some very strong measures to make sure that Whelan wouldn't get off. Yes, that's right, that MacDonald. John A. MacDonald was concerned about the Fenian movement, concerned about the Irish threat. He was also a personal friend of McGee's and took a strong interest in the trial. Well, when it came, for example, to the trial itself, uh, MacDonald and his wife actually, they not only attended the trial, but they sat on the platform beside the judge. They were, um, MacDonald, when, when McGee, uh, sorry, when Whelan was found guilty, he obviously appealed the decision and it went to the next court of appeal. The trial judge who had found him guilty was appointed by MacDonald to the appeal. So he was one of three judges who sat on the appeal. He cast the deciding vote against Whelan's appeal. When it went to the next level, MacDonald sent the same trial judge and promoted him to the appeal court again. When finally Whelan had the chance of appealing to the ultimate, in our case it would be the Supreme Court, in that day it was the Privy Council in London, MacDonald actually refused to postpone the execution so that that appeal could be heard. So he, he pushed it through as fast as he could. He made sure that it was stacked as strongly as it could be against, against Whelan. No, I don't think justice was served. I think the evidence at the trial was very circumstantial, and in any other case, I think Whelan may have been acquitted. Um, there's no question at all that he, he was involved in a sense that he knew who had pulled the trigger, and he knew who was uh, involved in, in the conspiracy, and that there were a number of them. He went to his death absolutely adamant that he was not the guilty party. And he was, you know, he was the kind of man that you felt, yes, he, he would not lie on the scaffold. He stayed silent, he said himself, in order to protect his wife and uh, that against reprisals if he did talk. And he wasn't going to save himself by, by fingering others, as he put it. No, I think there was definitely other people involved. I think there was enough material out there to, to point in their direction. But as I said, the, the main aim of the Canadian government, particularly MacDonald, was to convict someone, close the book on the case, deal with it, rather than let it uh, fester and stir up what could be a, a serious hornet's nest. MacDonald himself remained quite paranoid for the rest of his life. He, he, even at the time of Whelan's execution, he was eager to know if Whelan had admitted anything, if he had said anything to incriminate himself, and he was quite disappointed when he found he hadn't. And in the decades afterwards, he was, you see in his correspondence, he's always expecting another Fenian raid. He's always looking at, you know, at uh, rumors of arms dumps by the Irish in different towns across Canada. No, there's, there's no question that the story has never been fully told. As always, today is a day full of Canadian history. Track and field star Abigail Hoffman was born on this day back in 1947. And the opening of the first Canada Winter Games was held in Quebec City on this day back in 1967. And as always, on this day, we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History. Today in Canadian History is produced by CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. We would love to hear from you. 
To contact the series producers, email today in Canadian History at cjsw.com. Thank you.